Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom and what exactly wisdom is and how we get wisdom. And the book of Proverbs, and so actually, particularly, there's a whole genre of scripture called the wisdom literature. And the book of Proverbs specifically has been designed by God and given to us in order, in order to lead us into wisdom in every part of our life. So Proverbs tells us, as we study the book of Proverbs, it tells us over and over again that we should pursue wisdom in our lives. And so that's why our big idea or our main point for this morning's message is that the pursuit of wisdom leads us into a relationship with God that changes how we live. I'll say it again. The pursuit of wisdom leads us into a relationship with God that changes how we live. So go ahead and... uh, Open up to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 together. Remember Proverbs, uh, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, it's an Old Testament book right next to the large book of Psalms. And go ahead and look with me starting in verse 1. We're going to read verses, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Starting in verse 1, we read, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." In 2019, Disney re-released their 1992 box office hit, Aladdin, as a live-action film. And Disney's been doing this a lot. They're taking really good animated films and then butchering them with these live-action films. I wish they would stop. Most recently, Pinocchio was not a good movie. But for those of you who have not seen Aladdin, uh, Aladdin's a story of a street urchin or a thief named Aladdin. And while Aladdin is living on the streets, he meets a princess named Jasmine, and he instantly falls in love with her. But Aladdin knows that a princess would never fall in love with a woman or with with someone of his status. So think of this. She's like prime rib. He's like spam. Okay? Different tax brackets. They don't go together. But the good thing for Aladdin is that he stumbles upon this magic oil lamp that unleashes a powerful genie. And the genie tells Aladdin that he can have three wishes. Let me ask you this. If you were given the opportunity to ask for anything in the world, what would you ask for? Would it be money, health, popularity, security, children, a spouse, a new home, a car? And so the genie played by Will Smith, you know, before he went crazy, uh, tells Aladdin that he can wish for anything he wants except for more wishes, for someone to fall in love with him, or to bring somebody back from the dead. But Aladdin has his sights set on one person and one person alone, and that is Jasmine. He wants Jasmine to be his wife. And so he uses his first wish to become a prince 
because a princess can only marry a prince. Now, the, the crazy thing is, is that something like this actually happened in the Bible. God himself actually tells a person that he will give them whatever they desire. This is Solomon. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, God appears to Solomon. And listen to what God says to Solomon. He says, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Of all the things Solomon could have asked for in life, he asked for wisdom. Not wealth, not power, not security, but wisdom. As Solomon would say in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Church, do you see the value of wisdom? If you examined your life right now at this very moment where God has you, would you say that you're pursuing wisdom in every part of your life? You see, God wants us to have wisdom in every part of our lives because when we do, he is ultimately glorified. And not only not only that, but wisdom is for our good and for our joy. The wiser you are, the more joyful in life you will be. And so that's why this morning what we're going to do is we're going to spend our time looking at three questions concerning wisdom. Three questions concerning wisdom. And remember, our big idea, or our main point for this morning's message is that the pursuit of wisdom leads us into a relationship with God that changes how we live. So let's go ahead and let's look at the first question concerning wisdom. The first question concerning wisdom. First question is this, what is wisdom? Look with me at verses one through two in Proverbs chapter one. Verse one says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So verse one, it starts off by saying the Proverbs of Solomon. And that word proverb, it just means a short saying. So in this context, it's a short saying that expresses a general truth. So it's not always true, but most of the time it is. And Proverbs are given to us for practical, godly living. And it says that these are the Proverbs, the short sayings of Solomon. And Solomon, as we see in verse one, he's the son of David. He's the king of Israel. He's also the son of Bathsheba. You guys remember the story of David and Bathsheba? King David sees her bathing from his home. He desires her with his heart. He sleeps with her, and then he has her husband killed. So Solomon, maybe like some of us in here, he came from a broken family but God worked in the midst of the brokenness and he used it for his glory just like he can with anybody in here. And Solomon, he was the king of Israel for 40 years and it was Solomon who built the temple. Now, from the world's perspective, this dude, he had it all. We already talked about earlier how he was the wisest guy on the planet. Kings and queens and people from all around the globe would come to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. But not only was he was the wisest, 
He was also the wealthiest. If Bill Gates' net worth is around $145 billion, which is crazy, some say that Solomon's net worth was in the trillions for today's standards. He had national parks for his backyard. Imagine that. You know, I know some of you maybe have an acre or two, but imagine having the Grand Canyon, uh, Yosemite, Redwood, place like that. It would be awesome. I want you to listen to how 2 Chronicles 9, chapter 20 through 23 describes Solomon's wealth and power. Verse 20 says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. We use paper plates in my household. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Haram. And once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silvery, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. So God gave Solomon wisdom, and then Solomon wrote Proverbs for our benefit. Look with me at verse two. Verse two says that the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So Proverbs is full of wisdom, instruction, and insight. It has been given to us so that we might have wisdom in every single part of our life and our work in our speech, in our marriages, in parenting, in our friendships, in our character, in our finances. But if wisdom is so important, we first have to figure out what in the world is it? What is wisdom? Here's what I think is a healthy biblical definition of what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and responding and obedience. I'll say that again. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and responding in obedience. So it's not just seeing life from God's perspective. There's a lot of people who know what the Bible says but are complete fools. It's, see, it's seeing from God's perspective and responding in obedience. And when we do this, when we are wise, you and I will live a joyful, successful life. Now, before we go on, before you get a little nervous here, I want to define that word success. A successful life for the Christian is going to look a little bit different than how the world views success. So from the world standpoint, success is generally thought of as having an abundance, an abundance of money, an abundance of security or knowledge or beauty or intelligence or friends or possessions or popularity. But for the Christian, a successful life is that we get an abundance of God. This is the key difference between the world and the believer. The world finds its happiness and joy in the creation where the believer finds their happiness and joy in God himself. This is why those who experience trials, tribulations, sufferings, maybe even deep, deep poverty, but they know Jesus, they are far more successful in God's eyes than the richest person in the world who wants absolutely nothing to do with God. At the end of the day, Proverbs would call that person a fool. And so wisdom then from a biblical standpoint is understanding how God has created us to live and then walking in that manner with obedience and joy. Wisdom comes from God and it's revealed to us in his word. Let me give you an example. 
I have three boys that are five and under. Now, I don't know about your kids, but my kids don't always like to listen to what I say. Maybe yours do. Maybe, honestly, it could just be that you are that much better of a parent than I am. I am totally willing to concede that to you. But I have literally looked at my three-year-old son in the eyes as we're standing next to our gas stove, and I tell him, hey, don't touch the knobs. See, we have, with, when you have a gas stove, you just turn it on a little bit. If you don't see the flame, you get the aroma of gas just spreading through your house. And so my son will sometimes just flick that on. You don't see a flame, and gas will just wander. This is why we have carbon monoxide detectors at every outlet in our home, because I don't trust my kids at all. But praise God, they sell these little plastic covers that you can put on the knobs. And so I remember putting these on, and my son Eli, he comes up to me, and he gives me the look like, I'm totally going for it. Like, he's just looking at that knob. And I'm like, go for it, buddy. Let's try this. And he goes up, and no, nothing can happen. He gets angry. He's wondering what's going on. And I feel like I am so successful as a father. I feel so good about myself. But could you imagine if I just let my boys do whatever in the world they wanted to? If I let them just let gas spread throughout our home or eat a pound of sugar for every meal or play on Highway 65 because they love seeing fast cars, I would be a terrible, terrible father. See, a good father puts boundaries in place to protect their children and it gives them the fullest life possible. Let me say that again. A good father puts boundaries in place to protect their children and gives them the fullest life possible. But it's up to us as the children to decide if we're going to obey or disobey. Wisdom leads to obedience and folly leads to disobedience. We have a choice to make in our lives. Will we pursue the wisdom of this world that's constantly going in opposition to what God's word says? Or will we pursue the wisdom given to us in scriptures that shows us how to actually live according to God? This leads us to the second question we're gonna look at this morning. The second question is this, what does wisdom look like? What does it look like? We've already said that wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and responding in obedience, but what does it practically look like in our lives? Well, look with me at verses uh, three through six in Proverbs chapter one. Verse three says, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So Solomon goes from the introduction of the book. He tells us that we need wisdom, but now he shifts to what wisdom actually looks like. And I believe that he gives us three characteristics of a wise person in verses three through six. So let's look at these three characteristics. Here's the first characteristic. The first characteristic is that a wise person understands right from wrong. A wise person understands right from wrong. Look with me at verse three. He says, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. The NIV says, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. So we see from these verses that wisdom teaches us what is right and what is wrong. To be wise is to be able to distinguish between the two. Too often we think that wisdom is just having a lot of head knowledge. We're a head knowledge culture. 
But in fact, wisdom is applying our knowledge of good and evil. It's It's the application of our knowledge of good and evil. A wise person needs to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong in the situations in which they find themselves. Proverbs 10.23 says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Now as Christians, we hold this unpopular stance that there is objective truth. In fact, last year, Barna came out with a research that says 54% of U.S. adults believe that truth is subjective and that there are no absolute truths. Think about that. 54% of U.S. adults don't actually believe that there is right and wrong. It's crazy. This is absolute insanity to think that. To say that there are no absolute truths, think about this. So if you say there are no absolute truths, that's actually an absolute truth statement in itself. But God's word is clear that God dictates what is right and what is wrong and he reveals it to us in the Bible and it's the wise person who knows this because they are the ones examining the scriptures. Guys, how well do you know the Bible? How well do you know the Bible? Do you know it well enough to be able to distinguish what's right from wrong? Or are you constantly living in our Christian culture in this area and taking the opinions of other people on the Bible without actually knowing for yourself what it says? Because that's dangerous. That is very, very dangerous. See, that's the first characteristic of a wise person. A wise person understands right from wrong. Let's look at the second characteristic of a wise person. The second characteristic of a wise person is that a wise person shows discernment. Look with me at Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1 verse 4. It says to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Proverbs 1.4 says that wisdom is to give prudence to the simple. That word prudent means to be careful, to discern the situation. And then it says that knowledge and discretion need to be given to the youth. And discretion is similar to discernment. It pretty much means common sense. That's the wise person is able to look at the situation and make the right decision. And so these are to be given to those who are simple and young. And when this text talks about simple and young, the simple people are those who are just inexperienced. These would be your spiritually younger believers, those who are new to the faith. And the youth are those who are physically young. Church, the enemy loves to prey on those who are both physically and spiritually young. So much of the trouble that we experience in life could be avoided if we were given wisdom early in our lives and early in our walks with Jesus. This is why it's so important for wiser, more mature believers to teach those who are younger, both physically and spiritually, how to discern the world around them from a biblical worldview. Let's look at the third and final characteristic of a wise person. The third characteristic of a wise person is that a wise person is teachable. Look with me at verses five through six. Verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddle. So Solomon says that a wise person will listen and they're actually going to increase and grow in their learning, that they will have a desire to obtain guidance from others. How comfortable are you as a Christian? Have you stopped seeking wisdom from others because you think you know it all? See, it's it's hard to do this because, and I'm right there with you, it's hard to do this because we so naturally like being told, don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. 
We want to be the ones in charge. And so we're not, so we're not very naturally uh, teachable. It's almost viewed as a negative thing in our culture to admit that we have weaknesses and that we need help. But Proverbs 12, 15 says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise person understands the importance of being teachable and they seek out wisdom from others. So as we've seen with those three characteristics of a wise person, wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is applying that knowledge to our lives. I can't tell you how many people think that they're wise or a spiritually mature Christian because they know a lot of information. They might even know their Bibles extremely well. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew their Old Testament extremely well. But if you never apply what the Bible says, the Bible calls you a fool. I remember before I got married, uh, how I thought I was going to be the perfect husband. I had it, it's funny how when you're in that engagement uh, season, you have it all figured out. Everything's going to be grand. I had seen so many marriages that had so many issues and I thought I had all the answers. I would think that a marriage was falling apart um, a lot of times because that husband just wasn't leading his wife well enough. He doesn't get vulnerable with her. He doesn't confess sin to her. He doesn't pray with her. He doesn't read scripture with her. I told myself I was never gonna make those mistakes. I've got to figure out. I told Carmen, I will do all of this for you. Trust me, we will never have the issues that those marriages have. And then I got married. And my wife and I, uh, we would maybe be in an argument um, and she would ask me, she would say, Ben, how come you never pray with me or read the Bible with me or share any of your struggles with me? Or what about kids? What about parenting? See, before we had kids, once again, I was the perfect father. I knew just what to do. I was gonna be the dad in the middle of the night changing diapers without complaining. I was gonna tell my wife, you just stay asleep here. I will go and do this joyfully. I was never gonna get angry at my kids for intentionally throwing their food all over our house, our kitchen table, our couches, maybe our television. My kids, I thought, would never have some of the issues that maybe your kids have. Yeah, right. See, I knew what was right in my head, but I didn't actually apply it to my life. I am the fool that Proverbs talks about. Wisdom is practically applying our knowledge of God's word to our lives. So this leads us to our third question this morning. The third question is, how do you get wisdom? How do you get wisdom? Let's look at Proverbs 1 verse 7. Verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, so far we've talked a lot about what wisdom is and how we can apply it to our lives. But the question we should be asking ourselves is, if it's so valuable, how in the world do we get it? Like, is our goal to just read Proverbs and then begin trying to follow all the rules and the wise sayings we find in it? Because uh, if this is so, I think you and I, we're in a lot of trouble. My guess is that most of us in here, we know pretty well what the Ten Commandments are and how well do we do it actually following those. Like the first commandment of you shall have no other gods before me. I think about my life all the time. Uh, how many things that I actually put in front of God. Or another commandment that says you shall not covet. My guess is, is that half the stuff we own is because we saw somebody else have it and we were like, we have to have that. 
Or what about you shall not murder? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, no. See, this one doesn't apply to me. I've never actually murdered someone. Well, Jesus says that if you've ever hated someone, then you've murdered, with, you've murdered them with your heart. Or what about adultery? The law says you shall not commit adultery. Well, Jesus says that if you lust after someone that is not your spouse, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And so my guess is, including myself, a lot of us in here are murderers, idolaters, adulterers, and thieves. And we know we shouldn't be because we know the law says we shouldn't be, but we are anyways. And so having wisdom can't just be the knowledge of what we should and shouldn't do because we so often break the rules. But in verse seven, Solomon gives us a glimpse of hope. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He also says in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Our journey in pursuing wisdom begins by fearing the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we begin to grow in our knowledge of him. The first step in growing in wisdom is fearing the Lord. Now, what does that word fear mean? Because I think some of us see it and we just kind of are like, eh, I don't like that word. Is Solomon telling us that we should be terrified of the Lord as we would be a father who's about to beat us? Are we to be so afraid of God that it's fear that drives our obedience? No, I don't think that's what this verse is saying. See, fear used in this context is a type of awe, a type of amazement or reverence that we have towards God. It's looking at his beauty and majesty and respecting his power and authority. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, my family, we love to go to the beach. Okay, especially this time of the year, we're getting close to February. February is an awful month uh, weather-wise. I don't like snow, I don't want snow. I want 100 degrees every single day uh, because there's something about the warm weather, the great seafood, the palm trees, and the beautiful ocean that just keeps us going back year after year. But if I'm honest, there's also a little bit of fear I have when we go because I know that I'm gonna have to get into the ocean. Look, I am not the greatest swimmer. I do not boast about my swimming skills. When I was in the fourth grade, I was in the same swimming class as my little sister, and after the class, they moved my sister up a grade, and they sent me back two grades, just to learn, like, this is water. <laughs> so when I'm in the ocean, there's always the thought of drowning going through my head, but this is because I respect the power of the ocean. I'm in awe of it. When you stand back on the sand and you look at the depth and the width and the waves pounding against the shore, you realize just how powerful it is. You realize it could carry you out hundreds of yards from the shore and instantly sink you towards the bottom. And this is why, guys, we take vacations to the ocean and not the prairies of Kansas. I mean, look, I love visiting my in-laws in the cornfields, but I'm not gonna vacation there. We wanna be awed and we wanna see majesty and beauty and power in the ocean or the mountains. They give us that opportunity. And the same is true with our fear of the Lord. God deserves our reverence and respect. He deserves our worship. He created us to know him and to worship him forever because he knows that only he himself can fully satisfy our hearts. Our hearts are always looking to be amazed, but sin constantly leads us away to lesser things. And this is why in the second half of verse seven, Solomon says that it's fools that despise wisdom and instruction. Fools don't want to fear God. They want to be their own God. They think that their wisdom comes from everything but God. Their trust 
is in themselves. See, all of us in here are guilty before God because we have all despised his wisdom and instruction because naturally, we don't fear God. We so often wanna be our own God. We wanna be in control. And the book of Proverbs calls that person a fool. When we read the book of Proverbs, we are the fool that it's talking about. And so the question we really should be asking ourselves this morning is, is there any hope for the fool? Is there any hope for the fool? And the good news is absolutely that we have a God who loves fools, that we have a God who came and to rescue and to save fools. And his name is Jesus, church. Jesus is our hope. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. So Jesus is God's perfect wisdom in the flesh. Jesus came to be our wisdom. When you look at the life of Jesus, all you see is wisdom. He lived a life of complete obedience and he did, he did this for us so that we could have his wisdom. And the only path to wisdom is clinging to the one who is wisdom himself and that's Jesus. Church, which one are you? Are you the fool trusting in your own wisdom or is your trust in Jesus' wisdom for your wisdom? See, wisdom comes through fearing the Lord by submitting to Christ. So this morning, we've looked at three questions concerning wisdom. The first question we asked was, what is wisdom? Then we asked, what does wisdom look like? And then finally, we just saw how you get wisdom. And so what I wanna do here this morning as we finish up is I wanna finish here this morning talking about the person we began this sermon with, Solomon. I said earlier that Solomon was the wisest person on this earth, that he had everything you could ever imagine. More money, more homes, more power, more women, more children. I'm sure if he had social media, he would have way more followers than we have. Solomon had everything that our world longs for. Yet it still wasn't enough for him. In Ecclesiastes chapter one, Solomon says in some of his final words, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. See, even though Solomon appeared to have it all on the outside, maybe like some of us hidden here, Solomon was the wisest person on this earth. He could never live up to God's standard of wisdom. Solomon, like our natural selves, he was a fool. Life point, Solomon was a fool. He was an adulterer. He had hundreds of wives and concubines. He built pagan altars, participated in pagan worship, he was an atrocious father. Solomon, for a lot of his life, he lived life separated from God. He looked for his pleasure in all of the things of this world. And the same is so true for so many of us. We have pursued the wisdom of this world and believing that the things of this world will make us happy. And it's all lies. We are no better than Solomon. We are just like him. And as Solomon was writing the final words of Ecclesiastes, some of his final words that we have penned, he said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter, like his final statement. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind.
kind. It's like he had figured it out at the very end. True wisdom leads us into a relationship with God and it points us to the wisdom of Christ. See, where Solomon used his wisdom to gain material wealth, Jesus used his wisdom to give us spiritual wealth. Where Solomon used his wisdom to prey on women, Jesus used his wisdom to save, redeem, and empower women. Where Solomon used his wisdom to build God's temple, Jesus used his wisdom to make us his temple. Where Solomon used his wisdom to protect his own life, Jesus used his wisdom to lay down his life. Jesus, not Solomon, was and is the wisest person who has ever walked this earth. He was literally God's wisdom in the flesh, and Jesus came so that he could be wisdom for us. And as we pursue Christ, we will grow in wisdom. It's not about following the rules and doing what's right and just trying to live by this rule book. It's, no, as you begin to follow Jesus, as you love Jesus more in your hearts and you wanna obey Jesus, you will just naturally, the outflow of your life will be wisdom. Pursuing wisdom is pursuing Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place that you and I could not live. Jesus died the death on the cross for all of our folly that we deserved, all of our sin, past, present, future, was poured upon Christ on the cross. All of our guilt, all of our shame, all of it was put on to Jesus. And Jesus died, he went to the tomb, but he resurrected three days later to prove that his sacrifice was enough, that Jesus truly is the long-awaited Messiah that Israel had been longing for, that Jesus truly is the savior of the world and the only hope that we have for each of our lives in here and the only path towards wisdom in God's sight, it comes through Jesus. And when we confess our sins, our foolishness to God and we repent and we put our trust in the perfect wisdom of Christ, we are forgiven of every sin past, present, and future. You no longer have to be identified by what the world identifies you as. You are given a brand new life in relationship with God. And God himself, he comes to live inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. The scripture says that we now have the mind of Christ. We are given a completely new identity. No longer are we the fools that Proverbs talks about. Even though we act like it because of Christ, and if we're in Christ, We're no longer the fools, we're saints. We're the righteous, the holy, we're blameless. No longer are we orphans, we are sons and daughters of God. We get the blessings of Christ. Life point, the pursuit of wisdom leads us into a relationship with God and it changes how we live. Let's pray.